It's January 29th, 2009. Welcome to Neuroscientist Talk Shop, the University of Texas at San Antonio's Neurobiology Podcast. Our guest today is Zhanyang Wu, Professor of Physiology and Biophysics at Georgetown University Medical Center in D.C., where he studies spatiotemporal, spatiotemporal patterns of neuronal activity in mammalian cortex. Thanks for being here, Zhanyang. Hello. Around the room, we've got Charlie Wilson. Hi. Carlos Palladini. Hello. Todd Troyer. Hello. And me, I'm your host, Salma Karashi. John Young, um, in your lab, you use voltage-sensitive dye imaging uh, to look at the activity of groups of cortical neurons in slices and an intact brain. Could you describe what you're actually visualizing in these experiments? Uh, yes. So we use a voltage-sensitive dye. That's uh, a um, molecules can change color when the membrane potential changes. So uh, when you look at a population, when the critical tissue is stained, the population, when they depolarize, uh, mainly about 5 millivolts, and then you can see a, a voltage-sensitive signals in the in the diode array or whatever the imaging device is. So basically, the signal we are seeing are not spikes of individual neurons, but more uh, population depolarization can be moderate um, in a, on an average of few millivolts. And you've shown these are comparable to local field potential recordings. Yes, so we can have a, a sensitivity as about the same as the local field potentials. And in the brain slides and also in vivo, when the animal is in sleep, you see all the sleep waves uh, moving around. And uh, since you have an imaging device, then you can see the spatial temporal patterns. Uh, when the move, uh, waves are moving traveling around from different populations or different critical areas. Mm. So, so much of this... Oh, Carlos, go ahead. I, I had a, a technical question. So mm. where, do you, where do you see this technique going in the future? So um, I, I study more at the single cell level, and I, mm-hmm. I think it would be really exciting if, if we could just visualize a single cell and, right. and see the, the differences in memory potential from, you know, like right. a soma and a dendrite or the axon itself. Right. So, uh, the, um, the technical events I would, I could see is the one is to make a particular cell of interest light up while the other cells not contribute to the noise or signal. So there are several approaches, several groups are working on it. So the way is to make a genetically carried, uh, indicators. Let's say you have a thread, two proteins, thread proteins, and you use a genetic method to carry into the cell the interest or expressed with a, that population of cell, and then only signal you get are from that population. And uh, as term of a single cells, right now you can inject dice into a single neuron to see the activity only on that single neuron and the different parts of that neuron or, um, or branches, right? So uh, um, in in the cell, in the population, if you inject the cell, and then you can uh, get a signal, the light only contributes from that particular cell. So this is one way, but uh, um, practically, right now, the technique is uh, the signal is still too small, and you have to shine very strong light on that cell, and that usually will kill the cell in a few seconds. So, the, so practically, that techniques uh, have to be uh, advanced from a particular mechanism, like a thread, um, the free energy transfer dies. That will make a very large signal, like uh, calcium indicators we're using. That's 
about five percent uh, or to ten percent changes in the light, and then you can record for a very long time while the current dyes are only one percent or point one percent. So you, you need a very strong light to see the signal, and the photo damage will be too large for a long time recording. Mm. So do 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 you see that this will will be happening in in the soon in the future? So I. It sounds to me like the advancement has to be in the actual molecules themselves that that, that, right. that, so there, the dyes that yeah. change color. Yeah, I think several groups are working on this uh, FRED dye, and uh, some peoples are working on carrying uh, the method for carrying this dye and express on the membrane to the membrane. So I think um, on the bright side it will happen in a couple of years, but uh, on the dark side. And several years ago, they said it was happening. <laughs> Not <laughs> happening now. A couple of years doesn't always mean just two years. Right. So much of the early work in the field was done in submammalian species. Mm -hmm. So, but you've moved into mammals, and you're, you've also right. moved into an in vivo prep. Right. What are the different challenges that you encounter in making that jump? Right. So, uh, in the um, lower animals, in the, in the Invertebrate, let's say I did my postdoc work in Aplesia. So we already have a, a relatively few neurons, about a thousand of them in the ganglion, that can uh, generate several behaviors and express um, some uh, phenomenon of learning, like have simple forms of learning. And then uh, in, the, in such a simple system, the, the good thing is you, you can record from a relatively larger fraction of neurons in the system, and uh, it, it, you are able to distinguish individual spikes. So uh, um, we were showing that in, even in the simple gill, reflect, uh, gill contraction reflex, there are hundreds of neurons are light up. So it's not a, even a simple case. So uh, there's a learning happened in hundreds of or thousands of synapses were just on fraction, small fraction of these synapses are still unknown. And when moving to the mammalian, you see mostly the population activity not able to distinguish action potential from individual neurons. But you see a more like a population pattern. And the, the main technical challenges are, um, in the, in the, Animals, you have to anesthetize the animal. It's not a quite good signal to noise ratio for free moving animals. And also, um, you have to battle with uh, the other noise like a pulsation noises and the moving noises. So those are technical challenges. But, uh, but, uh, um, along that, it's more relative to the, uh, diseases where mammalian things were, where, where NH are more likely to find. <laughs> Cut out of the record. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I was uh, I was wondering. So this is a there's a big debate whether cortex is just cortex mm -hmm. or whether different places are different. Um, and I was wondering at the voltage sensitive dye level mm -hmm. whether you see uh, you know primary sensory cortex being different from parietal or association cortex or anything. I mean, are there are there things that jump out at you? Right. So this is a very good question. And in the in the voltage sensitive by imaging, if you look at the uh, signal from turtle cortex or from mammalian cortex or from tecton of frog, the signals are not quite different. And uh, but um, 
in different critical areas, you, you do see differences in signals in terms of propagation speed. And of course, the intensity can be different, but usually we don't um, pay too much attention to the intensity because uh, incentive varies with the different preparations, the density of a neural peel or a staining, those kind of small details. But the most uh, obvious difference are the speed, propagating speed. And um, also wave patterns can be different. So is that true in both in Slice and in Vivo? Or? Yes, that's true both in Slice and Vivo. And usually in Vivo, you can see changes in the speed um, uh, along the critical boundaries. And uh, you can see dynamically modification of uh, speed change. Let's say in the visual events, in the visual evoked events, the, uh, the wave will stop at an area border between V1 and V2 and V2 to other critical border, while the spontaneous sleeping waves are just moving across the border without slowing down. Charlie. So that's exactly what I was wondering about, because it's just from the simple view of cortical mm -hmm. areas that we learn in textbooks, mm -hmm. one would have the impression that at a cortical yeah. boundary, mm -hmm. waves would just stop. Right. Because that's the edge of that functional right. part of the brain, yeah. and that wave isn't functionally important in the next right. part of the brain. Yeah. And they really do. They come up to they the do. edges right. and stop, just the way we think that they would. Um, th uh, there's only one paper about the cross area, let's say the uh, you flip a whisker, the wave will start in smother sensory cortex, and moving across the boundary to, into visual areas, and the visual smother sensory areas. So those um, waves are really stopped, but they don't completely stop. They move across and then become fast again. There's one paper. Most of the paper, most of the work we're doing are within the visual area, different sub sub areas like V1, V2 in rats. So those those we see there um, slowing down and then uh, reflect from the boundary. And this has been seen also in other um, critical areas. There is a recent paper about auditory areas. And uh, also there is an early paper about uh, turtle, uh, between turtle visual areas also slowing down. On the other hand, though, right. I mean, we have this idea that every little piece of a cortical area mm -hmm. corresponds to some little piece of something else. So right. every barrel corresponds to a yeah. whisker. Then... <laughs> That in that simple view, mm -hmm. uh, activity shouldn't propagate out of whisker boundaries, right, out of barrel right, boundaries very right. well. But yet it does propagate right. out of those, okay? And right. visual system, yeah. uh, light in one eye creates a stimulus that actually propagates, right. in, or not in, in one part of the eye, right. propagates into the other part of the eye's right. territory. How can that work? How come we don't see the so, object moving or feel that more than one mm -hmm. whisker has been stimulated? So uh, this is a, a um, mm, the phenomenon has been seen in many experiments. If you flip a whisker, those are typical model of how cortex works. The activity is not limited in the in the the, the barrel represent the barrel cortex, the, the whisker barrel representation, but the propagate fast in a very fast speed into the entire barrel cortex. So those are have been um, verified by several groups. Um, the uh, the thing I can see the difference are if you record spiking activity, the most of spikes are within the barrel, maybe 10, 10 times more than outside of other areas. 
But when, what is sensitive recording are mostly depolarization. So the depolarization is actually spread. The depolarization is uh, generated by sparse spikes. So maybe in the population, 1% of neurons will having a spike, and then they will, um, each spike will depolarize maybe hundreds of neurons into a small, small um, voltage, let's say few millivolts. So those are um, depolarization in the population being picked up by the voltage sensitive dye imaging. So the uh, the waves itself we are seeing are mostly to um, make all the visual, make all the relative area sort of depolarize or increase their excitability instead of really firing. So this is a sort of subliminal fringe. Right. Yeah, could, could the old-fashioned... Yeah, yeah, you could say uh, that. Right? So yeah. the stimulation mm-hmm. in one barrel may uh-huh. not make neurons in the next barrel fire, but may make right. them more or less sensitive to, yeah. to in- input from that barrel. Right, where some people call the unintentional attention or whatever. Uh, <laughs> right. So I, I, I just want to keep yeah. going with that. Because yeah. You could just keep going smaller and smaller. And mm-hmm. If I was doing this kind of work, I know I'd be tempted to do that. So now I... I'm yeah. convinced that cortical areas are real, and now I'm convinced that pieces in cortical areas like barrels <laughs> right. are real. And then I guess I would want to just keep asking smaller and smaller until I found out what is the granularity of the cortex. You know, what's the tiniest mm. unit mm. that once you get down to that size, everything there is uniform and there are mm. no heterogeneities. Mm. So can you do that? Can you just keep, uh, you know, honing in on smaller and smaller pieces and looking to see whether... There are little inhomogeneities yeah. until those yeah. all disappear. Is is there a granularity to the right? And uh, uh, we had a we had something in brain slice. So those uh, slice, the, the experiment is a really a simple one. You give a brief shock, and then you elicit a, a small train about three hundred millisecond in the gamma band oscillations. You can pick it up from field potential recordings. And uh, uh, this, if you uh, image this uh, gamma oscillation, you will find there's uh, population depolarization. You don't see gamma oscillation in optics, but if you put the electrode, you can see there's a gamma oscillations. So we call the clusters or ensembles gamma oscillations. And if you put two electrodes several hundred microns away, and then it can, this gamma oscillation can be appear on one electrode, but not on the other. While optically, you see the whole area depolarized to some extent. So that it's a, you can say as you, you put it out, there's a granular small units of unit, uh, of cortex that will work together coherently to generate gamma oscillations or whatever. So those sides will be a hundred microns as a, if you can say the size will be that large. And uh, unfortunately, optically, we don't get that sensitivity to pick up that granules oscillation. The probably they are, they are just a few, few neurons organized by a local group to oscillate. So that means mm. uh, there are... Um, let's see, I'm trying to understand why that wouldn't be visible. Is mm. it because the, it's a small... It's a small proportion of the total number of cells in that spatial yeah. thing, or is it because the dendrites of every cell kind of smear the signal around to well, the that's a, of all the other cells? I think that's a good question. I could only say is during that gamma oscillation, uh, 
the cell doesn't fire at a gamma frequency. It can fire one spike. And each cell may be just firing one spike, but in, in sync with that field gamma oscillation. So you don't really see them. Yeah. And, but most of the cells are depolarized. In a depolarization, probably it's not gamma. We're out of phase with each other. So that optical recording we'll see in the, in the area with hundreds of thousand cells, you just pick up this sum, and if they are not in phase, you won't be able to see it. Mm. So I've got to take that in a, in a different direction. It seems like, so a lot of people now, so you have this intrinsic dynamics, it's really mm -hmm. cool, you, you see things in the brain, it's like doing all this crazy stuff when it's just sitting there, right? Um, and so a lot of people now are thinking about that, and then how does that affect what comes in? Uh, like when you do normal sensory processing, mm -hmm. you know, that it's spread everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this thing with uh, the voltage-sensitive dyes where you have a, a big-scale picture, mm -hmm. you have a really good uh, opportunity to ask questions about trains of stimuli or, or, or spatially, spatially and temporally separated uh, different stimuli, whether you have triggers going on or the ability to trigger for a subsequent stimulus at a different location mm -hmm. based on the traveling wave or the phase of that wave. So uh, is that is that really happening? I mean, are people picking apart, you know, trains of stimuli and the spatial temporal dependence? So if you give a train, I'm trying to, uh, to uh, if I understand correctly, you said if you have a train of stimuli, and then the, uh, the cortex rate have a pattern associated with this train, right? Yeah, so the, the, maybe the, the simplest thing to do is, so suppose that you, you know, you do one, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you flick one barrel and you mm -hmm. uh, originate yeah. a wave. Right. Right. So what happens if you Get flick that. a second barrel right. uh, at some distance away, at yeah. some time away, yeah. is that going to matter what phase of the first wave that it, it is? Or the, the yeah, that's a, right, that's a interesting. So you, you mean that if you flick two barrels with the collide, the see a wave collision? So I think the answer is yes. They collide, but uh, the, uh, um, they haven't done that uh, put, uh, exact experiment that you said. You do, do at a different time, see how do they collide, and whether they will generate strange patterns with this different timing. But uh, we do know that if you uh, stimulate two whiskers, if you uh, the whisker barrels are far uh, in, uh, far away enough distance, you can see two waves that generate there, and they collide in the middle, and where you also, this is very preliminary, we also generate two visual stimulus and see the wave are colliding in the middle. But uh, right now, we don't see strange effects after the collision, mostly just collision analyzed. How about the, how about the whether it affects, the say, the threshold for triggering a wave in a second one after the first one has gone by? Uh, we haven't done that, and we're, we're Really interesting whether the other stimulus can prime. Mm -hmm. You have a stimulus and prime the threshold of the uh, the whisker, let's say, right? But um, um, I think the reason is mainly being the uh, techniques, the uh, threshold. It's really different, dif difficult to control. So in order to see prime effect, you have to well adjust the. the uh, threshold for one and well-controlled stimulus intensity. Mm -hmm. So this haven't um, worked out. Yeah. But it is an interesting question that if you put a, uh, uh, there's a, a person called uh, um, 
Benjamin Libet. Uh, he's, he's collaborating uh, with a neurosurgeon and uh, put an electrical stimulus on human, a weak human patient. And then you give a, deliver one stimulus, the patient won't be noticed. Only you deliver a train of stimulus to the sensory cortex, the patient start to notice it. So, but if you deliver one, I'm pretty sure if you deliver one spike to the cortex, you'll see a propagating wave. But why is not registering in the mind? This is a kind of mystery. But maybe you need a really strong signal than the wave itself to make the uh, the, uh, the event go into the conscience where it be noticed by the system. There was a recent paper uh, in which individual cells were stimulated to see if it could alter the... Yes. Right. There, you remember this paper? Right. There are several papers like... Uh, you ask monkey to look at a random floating, optical floating, and then you stimulate one cell, and then the monkey decision can be really biased to the direction of uh, moving flow. Right, but those are, you make one cell fire. Yes. But it's, it's remarkable. That <laughs> yeah, it is a remarkable this, experiment. Uh, what seems like a contradiction, which is yeah. the brain clearly seems to work in yeah. large groups of neurons right. that are interacting with each yeah. other, and yet, individual neurons seem to have huge influences you in comparison have to our expectation right, 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 that they would right. be small. And so our old, long with us argument about whether single neurons are enough or whether they're not, and it just doesn't go away, and it, and it lives in all the data. Or it's a contradiction that seems to live in the data. Right. Single neurons are important, but yes. somehow they work in conjunction with other neurons exclusively. They never work alone. Well, it, it also seems contradictory in, in the old view of, of cortex, where a, a visual stimulus produces a, per, a portion in visual in V1, say, that, that mm -hmm. activates that one region, and you, you say there's going to be a propagating wave, and like Charlie mentioned it before, but yet you don't register that consciously. Although we think of cortex is where we register things consciously, mm. and yet there's this activity of waves that we just don't register where we think. If, if we do the inverse experiment where we stimulate that portion of cortex, mm. then that person will report seeing a bar in a certain direction. Uh, um, but, do you, do you, but Yeah, do you, does anybody do this kind of experiment you can see? Uh, so, for example, uh, people with epilepsy, when they right. go to remove the epileptic seizure right. region, uh -huh. what the surgeon will do yeah. is he'll stimulate the regions, right. trying to find the epileptiform right. region to remove only that region. Yeah. And if the patient reports mm -hmm. seeing a green triangle, yeah. then he leaves alone. These but aren't tiny stimuli, of course. These, these are, yeah, of course, tiny, but, but my point is, is that yeah. you... Whenever we stimulate any portion of cortex, a person will report that as, as something that they perceive. Probably only with a train of stimuli, not single, single shock. Yeah. So uh, the, I think the real question is whether single shock is enough to register, to be registered in the system. So if you do a single shock in the cortex and then you do voltage sensitive imaging, you see that single shock generate a propagating wave from that shocking spot. But how much stimulus do you need for the signal to be registered in the system is unknown. So, so I guess my question is, what, yeah. what are these waves then? So they're not something that we register consciously, yet maybe, they obviously do, must maybe, be doing something, and there's yeah. this activity in cortex that which we would think is something that we register. 
Maybe we register the pattern. Yeah. So, but most of the descriptive stuff that you've done has been in anesthetized right. animals. Has, has there been any awake uh, There's a, data? Uh, does uh, it look very different? Right. Um, Peterson Group, Carl Peterson Group in Switzerland, so they did the same experiment with a patch one neuron and also in the awake animal, they put a fiber optic bundle on the cortex. So they basically see the same thing, the same propagating wave. And when you flip a whisker and... Uh, they propagate in a very large area, even to frontal cortex. Or to, I love something you start to say. Yeah. That is, maybe it's the pattern. So is it yes. possible that some waves are just too simple for right. registering as anything, and yeah. that we other waves to. that are more yeah. interesting yeah. register? Right. And it doesn't have to do with how big they are, but rather the pattern. Right. If the pattern were interference pattern were interaction patterns, some dots will be registered. These are all unknown. Right? So yeah. People have to work on which which pattern can be registered. It would be wonderful if it didn't have anything to do with how many neurons were firing, but had to do with the pattern. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, probably uh, give me a career goal for the next 10 years <laughs> to do. <laughs> well, I have another question. That has to do with the, the, the fact that the dyes get into the membrane, and the membrane is in the brain is mostly not cell bodies, but mostly dendrites right. and axons. And so, yeah. really, the volume that when you look at a volume, you're mm -hmm. looking at a mixture of dendrites. Some of them right. are from nearby cells, some of them are yeah. from farther away cells, and axons also some from nearby and far away. Mm -hmm. And so that there's a there's an elementary resolution limit mm -hmm. that's caused by that. In texture of the tissue. Sure. And if in a tissue where all dendritic trees and axon trees were short, you'd have a higher resolution. And mm. ones where all axons and dendrites are long, you have a lower right. resolution. So looking down on the cortex, the pyramidal cells, dendritic trees are kind of small in the mm. direction, mm. the onphos to the way you're looking at the cortex. And mm. interneurons may have right. odd and more spread. So I'm wondering, is it possible? We've always had these notions that um, that the you know there could be excitation kind of in the center, and then inhibition would go out farther mm. away from the excited spot, and that sort of thing. Is this something you see? Is it actually part of what's generating the wave? Uh, uh, or if you get rid of all the inhibition, right. does the do things look about the same, or they look really different? So uh, uh, I. Need to answer this is a really interesting point. There are several points. So if you look at a wave, even you get rid of the uh, um, GABAergic inhibition, you see there's a wave friend that is excitation followed by a tail of uh, hypopolarized, probably mostly from potassium repolarizing currents. Right? So you will see this kind of phenomenon. And um, with a high sensitivity, you can see inhibitory effect as going in the hypopolarized range, you can see that. Um, but um, uh, for the second uh, issue you were mentioned, can you see a center of excitation followed by a ring of, of inhibition? So we haven't able to distinguish the pure inhibition from the refractory period or, or the hyperpolarized edge. And at the beginning, when I start to look at the wave patterns in the cortex, somebody says, well, you know, the cortex of the connectivity is really patchy, which means you start a stimulus at one point, 
you will see a, a nearby region with no activity, and then the activity uh, reemerge in other patchy areas. So we are not able to see that kind of connectivity. Maybe we didn't try hard enough, but that will be a very interesting thing. And uh, there's a third issue: is uh, uh, the uh, opacity of the cortex. The cortex actually blurred the signal. And uh, as you said, the uh, point out the um, pyramidal cells are relatively smaller uh, than radical tree, but all the pyramidal cells, those trees are overlapped each other. So you really see a forest without kind of gorgy way of staying the cortex uh, to see the function. You won't be able to distinguish individual or small cluster or small columns of activity in layer two, three. It's all blurred. It's like you're seeing a forest, not individual trees. There's an old. Well, this is a kind of related issue, yeah. but there's a uh, there's a now becoming pretty old argument, but unresolved argument about the importance of synchrony mm. in cells when they're encoding a visual mm. stimulus or right. somatosensory yeah. stimulus, and uh, the idea being that cells that are representing the same stimulus in a perceptual sense, yeah. that is the same object or something like that, would maybe not fire more than the other cells, but would be in synchrony with each other, and that somehow the brain encodes mm -hmm. for objects that way. Mm -hmm. So one can sort of hope, I guess, that under certain kind of stimulus conditions, mm -hmm. you would see some kind of grouping of cells yeah. that might not be near each other yeah. that would be <clears throat> synchronous <throat> with each other. And uh, is there is there any? I know that's a kind of a tough experiment. It requires right, right. a alert animal a and animal. all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> but what are the prospects for for looking for that kind of thing? Right. Why is for technical advance having a really large signals? So secondly, it's also depend if this cell assembly is localized, you're likely to see them if they are scattered. Let's say the, the place cell is kind of scattered in the hippocampus, right? So if you, let's say you can image it in the hippocampus, probably you won't see spot moving, but it's like a scattered granules of place cells around, right? So that kind of representation, instead of uh, uh, the cells for one place are all concentrated in one spot. That's true. So you'd right. be relying on some so cells to be near each other that are yeah. synchronous to create the signal that you'd be looking yeah. at. If they were really uniformly distributed, then right. they would probably all disappear. Right. So, so this would really depend on the dynamic organization of those cells. If they, if they are spatially located clo close to each other, you'd be able to see them. But you do have to go back to the, ori the original sets of experiments for some of mm -hmm. the synchrony where local field potential experiments, and then yeah. so they design stimuli with exactly that in mind, like occluded right. objects and stuff like that, where they're spatially localized, yeah. um, but separate parts of the same object, and whether they're moving coherently, then they right. would be synchronized. Right. Uh, but they were trying to do the same thing because they had the same problem with spatial resolution, right? right. So some of it has to be with stimulus design, to, to make clever cluster. stimulus design yeah, might make the experiment work better. Yeah, you want locally distinct yeah. local things that are part of one object or one coherent thing, and then you have to make the same local bits move in a way or, or be active in a way that's not one-on-one -on -one object, and you look at the difference. 
right? So that uh, you have to mm -hmm. then you argue about whether that's <laughs> you know that's good enough stimulus, and then you're getting at what right. you want. But so we haven't done yeah along this direction to a design a checkerboard or something to st elicit strong gamma oscillations in the cortex, but that had to be done in awake animals or something. Yeah. Um, but we, most of the rigorous work were done in slice where you can pharmacologically generate the gamma oscillations in the image, the slides, and see if they have a clusters, synchronized clusters, or a propagating wave in the, in the gamma range. So the answer is not. We see a slow wave. And uh, so this is a remarkably different from uh, oscillation with a slow, low, slower frequencies, like in the theta, where 10 hertz, 5 hertz, you see one wave registered were correlated with one cycle of oscillation. They propagate. And, but uh, with higher frequency, if you move to the gamma range, you only see it's one wave associated with many cycles, with a burst of the gamma oscillations. So those are kind of interesting, but we don't know what actually the cause or what's actually the local circuit mechanism for generate this kind of uh, um, phenomenon. The only thing I could say is uh, in the gamma oscillation, probably the neurons in the whole area are depolarized in some extent. Then they, they have a gamma oscillation. While in the, uh, the uh, theta or lower frequency oscillations, the, the cells were alternating from depolarized to hyperpolarized. Those can be picked up by both sensitized signals. So, do you have spatial properties of uh, gamma theta uh, coherence when you see gammas on top? No, of we it haven't have a gamma and theta together. But uh, in some epileptic form slices, you do see gamma riding on theta. And uh, optical recording, in optical recording, you see the theta, but don't see the gamma. I see. Right. <laughs> Yet. 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 It's a resolution. Yet, I will. I hope you can see in the future. I can't let you get away without asking you about okay. the spiral waves. Right. So I, uh, one of the things that you've shown are spontaneous spiral waves and stimulus-evoked spiral waves mm -hmm. in the cortex. And I know you know about Jack Cowan and Bart mm -hmm. Kermantraut's ideas yeah. about spiral wave generation as a kind of default state of the cortex and mm -hmm. the possibility that it uh, plays a role in our visual imagination and in right. art and in situations yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And then when you see the... So, so then when you see little episodes of these spiral waves happening from time to time mm -hmm. in the ongoing activity of the cortex, mm -hmm. what does that mean? I mean, does that mean that that little piece of cortex has begun to hallucinate or something at that, <laughs> at that moment? Or is that some kind of punctuation for the cortex to remove whatever existing pattern is there so that a new one can be formed, or right. what? Yeah, so uh, actually uh, um, Bart and uh, Jack Cohen, they are the uh, inspirers for us to do this kind of work. We use the uh, Wilson-Cohen model for, for non-oscillatory um, spirals. But uh, uh, in the experiment, it's uh, still far, in our data, it's still far from uh, speculating that spiral is doing any hallucination or whatever. Mostly we see are in the anesthetized sleep. So you can have an animal anesthetized and have a sleep, uh, certain sleep stages in the, in the same anesthetized level, anesthesia level and different sleeping stage. 
So what we saw are tiny spirals in the in the diameter of few millimeters, and the last uh, uh, maybe tens to hundred millisecond in duration. It probably too fast and too small for the mind to be registered in that kind of thing. And also that's are in sleep. So mostly uh, we thought maybe a, a way to make the uh, cortex temporarily disengage from the salamic rhythms. So that's all we can speculate so far. And still uh, uh, sort of far beyond whether uh, any visual hallucination patterns can be linked to the visual hallucination uh, for, from the uh, spiral waves in the cortex. And in fact, the uh, hallucinating waves, when you see that spiral in the eye, in the eye field, they, these are not spiral waves in the cortex. They are plane waves in the cortex because there is a topographic projection from the uh, visual field to the cortex. So the, the sweeping, plain sweeping waves will look like rotating waves in the eye. Oh, so if, oh yeah. I see. So if I had a plane wave in the yeah. eye, that would get tr transformed into a spiral wave in the cortex. Is uh, that what you mean? This I don't it know. It's a, it's a plane wave oh. in the cortex. It would transform into, into a rotating a, wave. Uh, ah. well, so if I have a spiral wave yeah. in the eye, it will look like a plane wave in the cortex. It will, it, I don't want to think it, about it from cortex to eye because yeah. that's not the way the information <laughs> flows. So uh, I have a spiral wave in the in the in the retina. It becomes right. a plane wave in the cortex. Is but that true? This part, but I don't for know. the hallucination, it yeah, is they're from not the cortex of the eye. Yeah, they're not evoked. <laughs> so it starts in the cortex. No, it doesn't go to the eye at all. Well, it doesn't go to the eye, but it, but it gets interpreted in, in oh, the visual space. Visual, oh, now I understand. Space. So uh, a, a spiral wave in the cortex. A plane wave in the plane cortex, wave in the cortex. because you get spiral in the visual field yeah. as a, becomes a spiral in the visual field. Because you get this. I see. So spirals in cortex should produce expression. what kind of visual hallucination should we expect to see then? Not a spiral. Yeah, maybe a, else. yeah. If the spiral, some kind of a super spiral. <laughs> if the spiral it's on the correct place, probably become plane wave. <laughs> ah. I, what I a what a boring thing. hallucination! <laughs> <laughs> but Bart has that. Bart has that stuff. What happens is you get is you right, transform right. those. Oh, things. I'm sorry, you know, the, I'm not keeping track of uh, the hallucination. Well, you need to go back <laughs> to look what, what various things because I I can't remember. You get some. I don't know whether you get checkerboard type things. Oh, so it is something interesting. Yeah, it was a, it was a hallucinations American, are always something interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was a scientific American article when I read in the graduate school or something. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, at time, 20, 30, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Well, That's the hallucination story. But sleeping, I guess sleeping isn't really a hallucination in that sense. Although sleep dreams are hallucinations for sure, yeah. of some kind. Just not the same kind. Right, so the sleeping, uh, when you're not in the dream, in the slow wave sleep, mostly the thalamus controlling the cortex, generate the rhythm. And that looks, in the imaging, it's a not spiral wave. It's a boring, huge, synchronized wave in the propagating plane waves. And uh, in, that, in the middle of that, we were, we were trying to, uh, to uh, uh, speculate that in the fast eye moment, that's in the dream, right? So it would be more spirals. We haven't done that experiment. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the, there is some way to generate... Um, fast eye movement sleeps in the anesthetized animal, but we haven't learned to do that. It would be really interesting to see if you see all the spirals or 
part will be very excited about. <laughs> That's right. So has anybody tried, is it possible to disconnect the cortex from the thalamus in vivo? Like you have the intact cortex, yeah. but you like either, you know, either do with a, like a knife cut or something, yeah. or, or you can do it pharmacologically potentially. Is the, is the activity in the cortex different scale, spatial scale? Right, we haven't. Uh, I think this experiment has been done, and uh, that isolated cortex does have some patterns, maybe hallucinating patterns. But I don't. We we haven't imaged that kind of experiment. I know about that though from the sort of the EEG Print? literature and right, the intracellular right, recording right. literature. So, an anesthetized animal that's already doing slow waves, which is the correct Sleeping, preparation right? for this. Yeah. Uh, if you c make a knife cut that disconnects the thalamus from the cortex, the cortex will continue to do slow waves, but they, they will be even slower. And mm. Otherwise, it doesn't look much different. It just slows way down. But it, they, so that was done by Steriata, and I, I've also done that. Yeah, but one of the things that, that may be interesting is whether the spatial scales are change a lot. So if it's the spatial scales in both cases are global, basically. Mm. The, those really slow oh, waves are mean. pretty much global. They they may propagate, but if so, they propagate really fast compared to their period, and so they are effectively global. Yeah, if you uh, actually in the spindles, right in the sleep spindles, are really strong critical salamic connections. So if you disconnect salamus from cortex, then the uh, the uh, in the salamus. The spindle wave become a propagating wave. Some papers I stare at, and also from my karmics group. Uh, while they, if they are connected to the cortex, then there's a, a vertical. I mean, the connection between thalamus and cortex, and then make the wave pattern less regular, like a propagating wave, because they can jump from one place in the cortex to the another place in the thalamus. Then it's no longer. Uh, Propagating waves and become more synchronized. Yeah. All right, thank you, Shen Young, for being with us. Mm -hmm. And this has been Neuroscientist Talk Shop. Mm -hmm.